So picture an eight-year-old girl. She's singing, she's dancing, she's kicking the soccer ball, she's raising her hand in class. She is full of confidence. Now picture a 13-year-old. She's still singing, but more quietly into herself. She thinks twice before she raises her hand. She still has her inner awesome, but less confidence. The confidence drop in teenage girls is real, documented by study after disappointing study. Ask any parent or teacher of a young girl. Between the ages of 8 to 14, girls' confidence levels can plummet up to 30%, as compared to boys at the same age whose confidence levels, while still drooping, can be up to 27% higher than those of girls. The effects of this precipitous drop in confidence can be both profound and long-lasting. It is no wonder that both parents and educators care deeply about proactively addressing this central challenge in the life of a young girl. What is improv? Improv is anything and everything, anything you want it to be. You go from here to here to here to here to here. Improv to me is just having fun and making up stuff. You don't necessarily have to memorize anything. It's very fun to just make stuff up on a certain topic. I think that improv is, can be carried over into real life. The concept of being positive and wanting to try new things and, um, and sort of going with what's happening. What in the world can improv, the theatrical practice of acting in the moment without a script, have to do with the confidence gap in girls? As it turns out, teaching girls improv might be precisely what they need to learn self-awareness, empathy, collaboration, intellectual agility, and resilience. Said another way, teaching improv might be the way to move a girl from the sidelines to center stage during a formative stage in her growth as a leader. I'm Trudy Hall, your host for On Educating Girls, a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools. My guest today is Jenny Raymond, the executive director of the Harnish Foundation, a New York-based foundation that focuses energy and resources on advancing gender equity. The Harnish Foundation has developed a research-based curriculum named Funny Girls, designed to foster the habits of leadership in young girls at the very front end of their leadership journey, when skill building can strengthen confidence. The five core leadership skills that we're teaching through Funding Girls are self-awareness. Self-awareness is feeling your own emotions. Resiliency is when you never give up. Never ever. Empathy. You feel what other people feel. Agility. It helps you think and learn. Collaboration. When you work together, you can accomplish more. Jenny Raymond is the founder of Funny Girls. And you have to love the tagline for this groundbreaking leadership training program, quote, because leadership is no joke, end quote. She has spoken at TED Women, the Girl Scouts National Convention, and has appeared on NBC Nightly News, in Glamour, and in a video produced by Amy Poehler's Smart Girls. This is most definitely a program that gives girls roots and wings that makes them smile and giggle, even as it makes them strong and resilient. Welcome, Jenny. It's so good to have you here. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to connect. 
Since the moment you and I discovered that we are both rabid fans of applying improv technique to the serious business of life, I've been eager to have this conversation. Why don't we start by having you tell us how you came to personally embrace the power of improv in your own life, and then we'll do some pile-on by providing your definition of improv for our listeners. Fantastic. Well, funnily enough, I actually trained as a classical oboist. So I spent my 10,000 hours plus on a musical trajectory towards being literally pitch perfect and executing exactly what was on the page. So in music school, there was kind of a whispered mantra of, you know, quote, you're as good as your last performance, end quote, which is a pretty destructive mindset. I'll admit, but it wasn't until years way later in my life when I started exploring, improvising in music. And I, I could see that there's a different kind of beauty and relief in the margins off the page. And that concept of improv started to take root. So eventually I took some classes in improv comedy and the concept of yes and, which I'm sure we'll cover uh, later today really started to resonate in way more areas of my life. So improv doesn't mean abandoning preparation, um, but it requires a flexibility that I hadn't cultivated prior in my, in my musical training. Um, and for your listeners who aren't familiar, improv is a type of spontaneous performance where a group of people figure out how to work together to make up characters and plot on the spot. So it's totally different dynamic than stand-up where one person stands up and tells jokes or stories that they planned in advance. So it's really a group sport. Okay, now let's back up a little bit. The confidence gap, the precipitous drop in girls' confidence in those pre-teen years. Many of our listeners may have already heard about uh, The Confidence Code for Girls by Claire Shipman, um, Jalellen Riley, and Caddy Kay. For those who haven't, and as a review, can you talk a bit about this dip in confidence? When have you seen it surface and how can a parent identify the signs? So this is really fantastic research that that team codified a couple of years ago. And as many people have seen uh, as a result of their research, the number of there, there's a 30 percent drop in girls confidence between the ages of eight and 14. They say more than half the girls they interviewed feel the pressure to be perfect. Uh, three and four girls worry about failing. So all of this is exactly fits in perfectly to the, the program that I've developed and working with. But basically the effect is girls speak up less in class and they take on fewer risks. They don't participate as regularly as they did when they're younger. And they don't take on leadership roles and they want to be perfect. And if they don't think they can be perfect, they don't want to try. And so we all know this is true. Girls who don't speak up in school grow up to be women who don't speak up at work. So in our early research, when we were developing funny girls, we also looked at some research coming out of the Girl Scouts Research Institute. And from there, we learned that four out of five girls don't think that they have the leadership skills. So that's bad news. <laughs> but good news is nine out of 10 girls think that leadership skills can be taught and nearly everyone can learn them. So as we were thinking about this and building the program, we felt very 
hopeful that there's a room and space for us to do this. I love the idea that leadership skills can be taught and that girls believe they can be taught. Um, And so that leads me into uh, an area where we may need to slow down to speed up. Um, And that is the whole um, area of um, how uh, we build confidence in girls. I understand that's fairly counterintuitive, and it means a steady diet of taking risks and failing and trying again, which uh, may not necessarily be um, something that young girls are up for. So why, first of all, did you connect improv to this? And then we'll go into how it works. So a two-part question, slow it down. Why improv? Fantastic. Well, improv is an amazing methodology to help girls take on risks. So the rule of yes and, which I had alluded to a little bit earlier. So no matter what crazy thing I'm doing in a scene, in a game, I agree with it and you add on to it. So this idea of yes, I hear what you're saying and I'm going to build on the idea. So one of the things that makes improv work is that it completely jolts you out of your expectations. And I know the first time that we met, Um, at the recent uh, ICGS conference in Boston is that I shared with you the work of Peter McGraw, who's out at UC uh, in Boulder at the Humor Research Lab. And he has this, you know, very academic paper. um, And I love this because it really, really resonates. Um, He's a comedy academic researcher. And he says, three things have to happen in order to make you laugh. And that jolting you out of your expectations, I said, that's, he calls the benign violation theory, which kind of cracks me up every time I hear it. Um, and so in the benign violation, there's three things for something to be ha- funny. The first is that there's a violation of a social norm or an expectation. The second is that it's benign and it's not meant to be malicious. Uh, and the third is that they both happen simultaneously. I always like to make the reference if you think of Kramer from Seinfeld, right? Every time he enters the room, his whole body jerks and lunges forward. And on its own, it's not a funny, it's not a funny motion, but because your expectation is that anybody who would open the door would simply walk in. When he comes through, this benign violation happens. So this is an important approach in our curriculum because we're not teaching the girls to be funny and how to craft a joke, but we are teaching them how to be present by super listening and adding their own ideas to a scene. So if they're improvising, using their imagination, they're releasing their inhibitions and and hilarious, funny things just naturally happen. So... I can I can imagine but I can imagine what that's like when you get them going too because uh, there's nothing better than a bunch of young creative girls just playfully using their imagination in ways that girls do um before they become women. Um so reminding them of how wonderful that feels is got to be a good thing. But now now how does it work? So how do you do this? Great. So there there are three key elements of improv and funny girls and why this marriage of leadership skills and improv works as a methodology. And the first element we like to say is that every contribution is valid. So what does that mean? So any spoken word, let's say in a scene, you say potato or you make a nonverbal gesture 
with your finger, you know, stretching up and down kind of disco style. That both of those things serve as a building block for the scene. So no matter like how wacky, how small, how lame, anything, anything goes, everything is welcome. So this really encourages uh, everyone, the girls to be spontaneous, which is especially helpful for girls to shut down the kind of internal chatter, you know, chat, 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 and the constant, constant kind of negative self-talk of perfectionism. So the, the second element I would say is that everyone is supported. And this really helps to build trust among tween girls who, who don't always have one another's back. But if you take on risk on stage, whether you're pretending to be, let's say, um, a raccoon or a pilot, you'll be supported in that risk by everyone else on stage. So the only time that improv comes to a grinding halt is when someone refuses to play along what's been put out there. So that's breaking that first rule of improv I mentioned. It's turning that yes and into a big fat no. Um, and I've seen this kinship so many times with our funny girls. Once they know that they're supported and you can see them just building community and learning how they can count on one another. And that's a pretty rare dynamic for teen girls, teen and tween girls to engage in. Um, so I also wanted to say about the, the value of girls feeling that support. Um, research across the board shows that when people feel supported, they're more likely to take risks, right? So if we're trying to get girls to take risks, that feeling of support is integral. Um, and so in the environment that improv fosters, they take the risks and they have affirmation, right, from their peers. So when they take the risks, they recognize the power of their voice. They have a contribution to make. It's, I've seen introverts and extroverts really, really relish and they're this kind of new awareness of their own voice. Uh, the last element that I wanted to mention that's I think particularly interesting for improv and for cultivating leadership skills is that everyone is both a leader and a follower in improv. In order right, for a scene to work, and I know Trudy, you mentioned that you've done quite a bit of improv, in order for a scene to work, scene mates have to equally make and receive others' contributions, right? So that means that students can gain a greater understanding of what it feels like to be both a leader by sharing the idea or the gesture in the scene, and they know what it feels like to be a follower because they're listening and being present for someone else's idea. So this is a really fantastic lesson of leadership, of, of inhabiting both being a leader and a follower. You've built some nice building blocks uh, for us. So we understand improv now, or as well as someone can understand it without being playful in that space. Um, we know why it's good for girls. Um, we understand the ways in which uh, it could help girls take some risks. Uh, we've heard you talk about the fact that uh, they can be both leaders and followers. Can you now tell us, you know, connect some more dots. How did you then get inspired to say this would be a leadership program specifically geared toward this age group? Because you work with a very specific age group, that preteen group. We do. So um, I'll give you a short answer 
And then a slightly long answer, but the short answer. So I'm the executive director of the Harnish Foundation, who is the supporter and founder and funder of Funny Girls. But for 20 years, we've been supporting women's leadership initiatives. And in that time, we've served or touched tens of thousands of women as they're growing in various leadership programs. But people still tell us every day, I wish when I was a kid, somebody had taught me the skills I needed to be a good leader. So after hearing this so many times, we decided to be that somebody for girls. So in 2014, uh, when we started building the program, we started speaking with child development specialists, educators, improv comedians, and other child-centric experts. We looked at executive training programs for women from Stanford to MIT to see what challenges women were facing and how those were being addressed. And we could see very interesting, uh, we could see similar hurdles for women and girls, like boldness being reduced to quote unquote being called bossy or being interrupted in the workplace or school where ideas were not only not being heard, but sometimes they were actually being stolen right in front of them without anyone noticing. Uh, so we engaged with a slew of experts, um, both uh, we're based in New York City. So the Magnet Theater, which is a teaching uh, improv school. Also um, some folks who had worked with the Center for Creative Leadership and the Palabalas Dance Theater. Um, and we began to build this curriculum based on leadership skills improv and creative movement in the pipeline of, of supporting and developing women's leadership that going for this age group of eight to 13, when that confidence starts to winnow was really, really the niche where we wanted to go. You've just reminded us that um, uh, you uh, have learned some things along the way as you've done this. And so I'd love to have you sort of slip back into that, those earlier stages. What, what do you know now that you wish you'd known then? Because you've obviously gone through several iterations of this. Right. So we started developing the program in 2014. And now here we are eight years later. Um, and we're added a second level of the curriculum. We have learned so much, but I will say a baseline is that everybody needs to take more risks. We've learned uh, from a microcosm level, we've learned that when you're asking students to be playful, that sixth graders and eighth graders, and, and for your, your uh, listeners and other parts of the world that don't uh, use sixth and eighth grade, I'm talking uh, 11 year olds, 10, 11 year olds and 13 year olds, they're different food groups. So asking those kids to be vulnerable, to asking them to be playful, sometimes that can be challenging in the same room. So when we're cultivating and starting the classes out, we really want the girls to feel that sense of sorority and uh, being willing to be vulnerable. But it find, we found that really, really isolating the kids um, when it's in a school environment and that's how they know one another. If it's an after-school program or an intergenerational after-school program, which we serve, it seems to work a little bit better because there's siblings involved and in that, but I will say in general, you know, they're, they're different food groups. Uh, we've also learned that um, it, it takes a lot of courage to be playful. And I'd like to think that, you know, adults, 
had more playfulness to them. And when you see it in a third and fourth grader, they have big puppy paws. We refer to them as the littles. They're really willing to play. And you can really see in the older grades, you know, six, they're still playing. Seven, they're still playing. And eight, they're kind of looking around to make sure it's safe before they're playing. Interesting. Wow. And it's a, it's a testimony uh, in action uh, to the research that you've uh, shared with us. So how are you measuring your success? Where's your proof that this is working? Excellent. So we, all of our partners, we request that they participate in a pre and a post survey. And so what we're hoping to catch in that is two things. Number one, we're hoping to see that girls shift their perception of themselves as leaders. So it's quite meta, but like when I I referred earlier to that stat of, you know, nine out of 10 girls think anybody can learn uh, leadership skills, but four out of five say, oh, but except for me, right? So this idea of self as a leader is really what we're hoping to shift. So in our survey, we're both asking the students to see what their retention of concept is. So are they able to say to us, um, and we're working with, with quite specific uh, definitions of these core leadership skills, but do they have an understanding that empathy, we say, is, is seeing and acknowledging someone else's feelings? It's not about being nice. So in our survey, we want to hear the girls say, they understand that empathy is not about fixing it or about being nice. It's about acknowledgement um, and so on and so forth with our, our skills. Then we also are looking to see when we're taking a post-class survey, how this may have manifested. Does the student say um, maybe they had tried out for band and they didn't get in? And, and what did they do? Did they decide not to do it anymore? Or did they go to the band director and say, you know, could I have a few lessons? Could you give me feedback? How can I do that better? Um, some students say, you know what, I was kind of shy, but uh, now I'm, I, I'm in the church choir. And other kids, it doesn't manifest in kind of like a, a, a marquee leadership role um, that we might traditionally recognize. Maybe it's, I, rec- I see my mom's working really hard at home and I've, I'm helping more cooking at home, or I'm helping more with my siblings and homework or, or babysitting, picking them up from school. So we have questions in our survey to see what, what is that shift. And, and I'm happy to say that almost 100% of the students self-report a more positive self-perception or this increased confidence after taking Funny Girls. On average, nine out of 10 students self-report a positive relationship with taking risks, putting themselves in new situations, or being actively involved. And they have excellent retention of these five core skills. And that becomes a very meta adoption of a girl can say, I am a leader because I'm self-aware and give a very specific example, something that we fleshed out in writing exercises in the curriculum with our I am statements. I am a leader because I'm resilient, because I can tell you a very specific example of a time that I was in uh, a class working with a cohort of students. The project wasn't going well and how we solved it. We, we don't get we don't let the students get away with, a, you know, I'm collaborative because I work with others. 
No, we make them really, really flesh out that connection of leadership skill to self. And then when they're verbalizing it and writing it and sharing it with their teachers and colleagues and peers and friends and family, it starts to take root. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I have something to say. They may be saying, I'm a leader, but it's so clear you're teaching more than that. Um, in the examples that you gave us, you can see them developing a presence, developing a sense of self, um, going far more than that. And, and so it's one thing to have trained improv instructors doing this work. But what thoughts might you offer for parents who are looking to set a tone on the home front that uses some of these strategies? Because if I'm a parent listening to you, I like what you're saying about how it would build my daughter's confidence. And I want to see if I can do a surround sound or maybe even create a little home environment where it's uh, inserting some of the playfulness that you're talking about. Could you offer up some specific um, improv exercises or language that might be useful for parents? Absolutely. So the leadership lessons of Funny Girls are really the lessons that everybody needs today. So we need to have more self-awareness in our lives. We need to work better together. We need to work creatively around obstacles. We need to recognize others' emotions. We need to respond with agility to challenges, and especially in this moment in time, have resilience to, as we like to say, try, try, try again to get where we want to go. So all of these skills that we're teaching um, make a huge difference. So there's one, uh, there's one game in particular that we can play here if, you, if you're up for it. Um, and this is something that's due. I'll give it a okay. shot. I'll give it a shot. Okay. So, and it's just as a reminder <laughs> that improv is a group. So we do have a couple different games that we're working in pairs. Um, but this is an easy one that we like to start off, uh, with the students, um, before they've even done any improv to realize, uh, that they have the capability of doing it. So this game is called Pet Peeve rant and usually i have a pet peeve rant, rant. pet yes peeve so rant. i usually okay. have a group of students uh maybe four students that we choose to come up to the front and i'm they're volunteers and i'm the one running the game and i say um i want so it's just the two of us so i'll just direct it at you but you'll get the gist of it uh i want you to think of a pet peeve something that super annoys you and it could be something that bothers you about work or your spouse, or your kids, or your dog. Just just pick one, though. <laughs> you can't can't put all your pet peeves. It's <laughs> just one, um, or something like uh, I don't know. People talking with their mouths full. So it could be something really big, or it could be something small and petty. But you're not just going to tell me what your pet peeve is. You're going to explain why it annoys you. So I'm asking you to be very specific. Uh, be loud, show your emotions. And, and we, I always say to my students, get physical, right? This is a chance to share your truth. So the game begins and, and I, I will point to you in a minute. I'm giving you a second to think about your pet peeve, but I'll point to you and you begin ranting. And then I bring you to a decrescendo and I point to another student and she starts ranting about her pet peeve. And then at a certain point, and I bring her to a close and the third person starts and then I taper her off. And at a certain point, I, I point to you and the student. So you're both 
starting to rant at the same time. Your body language is big. You're getting very animated. You can't wait to tell people how annoying it is that your you know, dog eats your slippers or whatever it is. And then the game comes to a close and we say, you just did improv and you didn't even know it. And then we go into truth and comedy and why we're laughing. But let's back up a little bit because now that I've given you a chance to think about it. So think about what your pet peeve is. And then I'm going to have you start. And I'm not going to stop you right away because I want you to keep going. And I want you to show me with your body, your level of irritation or frustration. You really are going to get into this. So Trudy, tell me <laughs> what's safe for the podcast that you could talk about that's <laughs> annoying to you. Well, the good news is the good news is that our viewers are never going to see me with my hands waving, but I've got something that's on my mind because I just uh, experienced a lot of it. And that is I get really annoyed when the plane lands and you've been flying for an hour, two hours, six hours, eight hours, and the pilot hasn't even turned the seatbelt sign off yet. And people are moving around. They're starting to stress. You could feel them getting out of their seats. We're all going to get off the plane at the same time. Nobody can get out that door until they open the door. And yet people from the back are shoving their way through and they're trying to get in front of me or in front of some pregnant woman or in front of an older person who's got a cane and they haven't even taken their uh, suitcases down off the top. And if they are, they're bumping people <laughs> on the heads with them. And it really annoys me. Brilliant. There you go. Brilliant. <laughs> For you poor listeners that couldn't see that, she had amazing um, ire in her shoulders. So. <laughs> well, this is, what, this is what's amazing about improv. And so I would encourage the parents at home uh, there are lots of, so we are, we're using it to teach leadership skills, but just improv as life skills. If you Google, you know, simple improv games for 11 year olds or simple improv games to do at home, there are all kinds of things for you to do around the dining table. Or when you have a moment walking your kid to school or when you pick them up right after school and maybe you can tell they don't exactly want to talk. There's different games that you can employ. Um, some of these we have in our curriculum, but some are just ones that I'm aware of in, in building this program for the last eight years. I'd say another one is the animal game. So you go around the table and your the genre, you pick whatever genre, let's say it's animals. And I would say uh, an eel, and then it would pass to you, and you would have to take the last letter of the word that I said and then turn that into another animal. So you would say, lion. Right. And then it would come back to me, and I would say, I'm having way too much fun with this, Jenny. I need <laughs> and it would come back to me, and I would say, newt. And it goes on and on and on. But 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 you can't pause. You can't look it up. You know, they just have to pull from within. So this isn't about, um, you know, getting out the dictionary. This is about being present, being focused and responding with your own ideas. So I, I can't speak highly enough for this idea to cultivate at home, whether you have access to join a, a program like ours in your area. Or, or not, this is uh, something on a very small scale that you can incorporate at home. 
I agree. I absolutely agree. And even by introducing it by saying, you know, Google improv games for 10-year-olds, you've given people a very solid first step. Um, as we all know, there's a lot of good information out there if we know what, what to Google. You, you've been involved with empowering young girls for decades, um, and you're the parent of a daughter. What do you know for sure about building confidence in young girls? Because it's clear that you know a lot. What three takeaways might you offer our parents? So be ready to, as a role model to share with your kids a time when you may have epically failed. And look, you live to tell about it. I love to tell my kids about you know the audition that I blew and I'm still here to play. I still play my oboe. I'm still here to talk about it. So that's number one is be ready to model that failure is an absolute part of our daily life and, and to talk about growth mindset. Um, number two, I would give kids encouragement to build a skill and to understand that it takes time and this funky calculus of failure and success before you progress, right? So it's, you're not going to be the best kid on the football team. You're not necessarily, you're not going to be the best gymnast. You're not going to be the best potter. Um, those things take time. It's, you know, I, I started by telling you, you know, I had to laugh because I was recently rereading Malcolm Gladwell's uh, book and, and looking at, you know, 10,000 hours is kind of what, what he identifies as what gives, you know, some sort of expertise um, so I know there's some, some people take issue with that, but it obviously takes time to dedicate to something. So I would encourage students and, and your kids to just keep at it, keep in the practice room, keep on the field, keep lacing up those skates, whatever it is, keep singing in the shower that don't feel, don't take a few signs of, of, uh, negativity, your sign that you should quit be ready to pivot. Um, and I think maybe the last thing I would say is find ways for them to share what they love, right? And the confidence that they gain from this awareness of their own voice. So if they want to tell you about the 10,000 10, uh, makeup tutorial on YouTube, and, you, and you're like, my eyes are rolling in the back of my head. And I realized like, no, this is something that this kid is super excited about. Like, listen your ears, put away your own adult judgments of like, they're never going to make any money from this. The idea of, of how could you help kids to give them feedback and affirmation when they're expressing to you something that they love. That's healthy, not injurious to them, of course, um, but give them outlets. Let them write a little something or draw a picture or talk about it at dinner, you know, create the space to say, I heard you were excited about, you know, the work you did with your clay today at school. What did you do? And let them know that feeling of articulating and saying something that they're proud of. I like that notion of articulating pride, helping them articulate pride. It's a really key visual for me as I think about this. Um, Jenny, it's been 
great to spend time with you. Um, I wish that you and I could get together and do more improv exercises. Um, let me sort of wrap and, and uh, get a sense of um, if I've gotten this right. Uh, you want our parents to model playfulness. You want our parents to model spontaneity. Um, you'd love to have our parents model failure. Um, and you want our parents to Google improv games for eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, 10-year-olds, and get started today to set this kind of tone in their own household because you are convinced and I am convinced that it will make a difference in their daughter's confidence level. This has been on Educating Girls, a podcast produced by the International Coalition of Girls Schools to address real issues that impact the lives of the girls we know. As always, we welcome your thoughts and suggestions as we create a dialogue with you. Perhaps you have a topic that you want us to discuss in a future episode? Please send comments and questions to podcast at girlschools.org and join us next time as we share insights and resources. Thanks for listening. It's important to the girls in your lives that you do.